Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Careful, too There's many notes. Intro, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Floor You Podcast. I am Paul Plishek. I'm here with my normal co-host, Sonny Callam. Sonny, how you doing? Hello, hello. As always, I hope. Good as always. That uh, that musical intro that you had there, that is in tribute to YouTube, who will send you a copyright claim if you play Devil Went Down to Georgia at the beginning of a podcast. If they only knew how relevant the song was, they probably would not have sent that. They'd have given us the, given us the clearance. <laughs> I, think so. I think so. You know, nothing like just, you know, put a little bit of the song out there. Remind people it's out there. Maybe they'll want to go listen to it again. No, 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 no. If your podcast might make five cents, <laughs> it doesn't. But if it might make five cents. If I make five cents, I'll give it to I'll give it to that band, whoever yeah, it is. Yeah. Charlie <laughs> Daniels needs the money. Yeah, really. Clearly at this point he's at the end of a struggling music career and uh, that was frustrating. <laughs> sent a, yeah. a copyright claim from YouTube that we had that intro music from Charlie Daniels. Whatever. Yeah. Come I on. thought it was a joke at first, but it was they were dead serious. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> You got us singing, and I think that's what it'll be from now on. We'll just uh, karaoke a song in there. And... I don't think they want that. <laughs> <laughs> and the listenership drops to nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. So how was your weekend? Got back from the FCICA. Okay, I see. Yeah, had a good time at FCICA. Got to see a lot of people and uh, came home, had a weekend. With the family and got back on the road Monday morning, back over to my favorite place in the world, Dalton, Georgia. So that is just a got home from there. That, that is definitely a place. I tell you what, it <laughs> is a beautiful. place. That's beautiful but, area, though. Beautiful area, good people. Gosh, especially this time of year, it's not a bad drive going over. Nice and pretty, good people. Seeing, seeing customers, selling glue. What do you do? Yeah, you're a little closer than I am. It's about a 15 hour drive for me. Ah, uh, you know, it feels like 15 for me. It's only three and a half. Because I have to go through Atlanta, so it could be 15 hours. Just depends on how I hit it. Well, unlike that uh, trip when we had the Flooring Essentials event down in uh, Charlotte, that was supposed to be about a 18 hour trip, but I spent five hours just parked in traffic. Yep. Ugh. Well, I don't even live in Atlanta, but I got me one of those peach passes for Atlanta for the mm-hmm. express lane. Thirty bucks round trip through Atlanta. It's worth every penny of it. Yeah, I got the iPass for Chicago, same thing. Don't have to go through pay cash at the toll booths. Yep, just go through it. They should pay me to drive through that city. <laughs> 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 yeah, I didn't. Uh, I had pretty uh, uneventful weekend. Of course, I told you off before we got started. Back is shot again, so that that's should be never fun. good. No, no, no. So I pretty much just stayed on my back. Luckily, it's football season. Get in the recliner. At least there was one football game to watch. Hmm. Hmm. What team do you root for? Oh, yeah, that would be the Packers. Packers. Let's go, Pack, go. Go. The Badgers had a game, but they didn't play, so. (laughs) Yeah, they forgot to show up for that one, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, Uh, they thought it was mail it in Saturday. And uh, that's a shame. They were looking so good. Yeah. So as it works now, they probably will beat Ohio state and you'll just look back and think, Oh, what the season could have been. <laughs> what it could have been. That's, that's, the thing. <clears throat> that's the thing with these college football games. You got to keep these kids up for every single game, because if you lose one, you're out. Oh yeah. 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 You said the same thing when I jinxed you for uh, Georgia. I know yeah. you saw. no intention on, uh-huh. but that's what you get. But you don't, you don't have a whole rot, your whole uh, college football savings. I mean, most colleges can't afford to pay their players that much. Yeah, you know. Well, in California, <laughs> they can. <laughs> That's true. They're paying them out there now. I think they have to. Uh, so, yeah, so other than that, we had a call last night. We had the uh, ISCRC uh, inspector division meeting. That went well. We did. That's an hour of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> yeah, that's very true <laughs> luckily it wasn't several hours but getting that going i think it's one of the one of the things we're 
really moving forward uh, with all the work that's gone into the ISCRC in the last uh, three, four years and getting everything going the right direction, that's it's good to get a inspector division. It's good to get that moving forward. You've got the uh, substrates class that you're putting together, the go, reviewing the exam and, and reviewing the, uh, the class itself. You, you put together uh, it, a dream it's team? It's needed. It really is needed. It hasn't been looked at for a while. And, and you know, for us at NAFCT, we, we've been tweaking it a little bit to kind of keep up with it. But we have to keep the curriculum close enough for the exam. So now that we have an opportunity to go through the exam, um, I think it'll be good. I, you know, what I like about the IICRC is, is the, the TAC chairs and vice chair, which is Seth Pavarnik we get to pick who we want on our committees, as you know. So I was able to send out some text messages and emails last night and got a strong group of people ready to uh, go through this thing and hopefully be relatively painless. Yes. And hopefully they don't, YouTube doesn't pick up on my ringtone there and give us another. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because my phone was not on vibrate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. But yeah, I think that that with what you've got, and that's one of the reasons that Seth was Seth Pavarnik was one of our first and going to be a regular guest on the show is we have worked with him for a long time, and and he is uh, incredibly knowledgeable, especially regarding concrete substrates. I think that that's probably his most specific area of expertise and, and right. prep of concrete. Uh, but for to have to have you and Seth chairing that committee that's that's pretty impressive body of knowledge there i appreciate that i i think we'll do a good job and and like i said some of the people we brought in are just uh you know some of the best in the industry so we what we tried to do is we tried to get uh representation from manufacturers representation from installation from installers and then an inspector in there so even though you're going to be involved in it but we still wanted another right. inspector um so I, I'll run through the names. I think it'll be okay. We have Sim yeah. Chrysler, um, who, if you don't know Sim Chrysler, we've mentioned his name on here a couple of times. He is just the smartest guy in the industry. Um, we got Andy McWilliams. He was an installer we met through the Flooring Installers of America page. But uh, we're going to get him involved in this. We have Bob Bates from Tarquette. We have Graham Capabianco from uh, uh, Capri. Oh, it's yep, called something else now. Lidditz Flooring. It's called Lidditz oh, Flooring yeah, now. And uh, Don Jewell from Lobovacal, who's been on the show. Seth, who we mentioned, has been on the show. And, uh-oh, who am I missing? Is that it? I think that's it. We have one more pending, so maybe we can shame Kevin Phillips from Novalis to be on here, but he hasn't <laughs> answered me yet, so we'll see. <laughs> shame him into being on here. I like that. Put it out out in the air, you know. If if he wants to be involved, he's welcome to. He's welcome, know, even though he doesn't speak to... our language. He speaks English. Yeah, well, <laughs> British, a, a form of it, yeah. aluminium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll hopefully we'll get that and we'll get this going and we can we can update the class and then we can have an ISSI class. You know, the first quarter of of twenty twenty. Yeah, I've actually got it worked out. Just got to pick the dates. We're going to have one for sure beginning of the year in Las Vegas at the Global Resource Center for the ISCRC. So that's the okay. the world headquarters of the ISCRC. Uh, very nice. And it, I say world, uh, kind of funny, but it really has become a wide-ranging organization. Japan, Australia, the UK, um, Canada. That is a different international then because obviously Canada, you know, considers itself another country. So (laughs) (laughs) just, just teasing Canadians, just teasing. Um, You know, the other thing we can talk about, the other thing we're doing in February of, uh, of 2020. Yeah. You want to put that, you want to put that out there right away, huh? I'm going to put that out there. Um, so what we're going to do, we don't have the dates finalized yet, but we are going to be offering NAFCT is going to be offering a three day heat weld and flash cove certification course. 
and we're going to hold it in Orlando. Uh, we got a couple of places we're trying to lock down right now, but um, probably going to only be 20 to 25 people. But we've got uh, a couple of top guys in the industry who are going to come in and teach the class. Mike Pigeon from uh, Ropey is going to be heading that up. Uh, he's going to bring in some helpers from some other manufacturers. And uh, we're going to just have hands-on. We're going to have book work. And if you can't do it when you're done, you won't get the certification. So it's really going to have some meat and some teeth to it. And I'm looking forward, really looking forward to this class. I think it's going to be something that's going to take off. Yeah, this was something that you set up for the Flooring Essentials event that we did last year. Uh, last year. Last year. Flies. Um, and it was really well received, a lot of interest in it. And we've looked at trying to set that up as a certification uh-huh. and, and how to do that. But you've gotten some some enthusiasm when you were at FCICA, right? You had talked to some different manufacturers. and Oh, right, right. I mean, you know, that's really an issue that we're seeing in the field is there's just not enough qualified people for heat welding and flash cove and the two go hand in hand. And if we can develop a certification course to, to, to train installers to do that, I think it'll be beneficial for a lot of people, both manufacturing side uh, and the installation community. And I think that that's kind of one of those advanced certifications that we look at doing, right? We've got the, the inspection stuff, that's a advanced certifications. You mm-hmm. need industry knowledge before you can consider moving into that area. Right. You really need to have have industry knowledge before you're out doing flash coves. That's a commercial setting. That's a, more often than not, that's a, uh, a large installation generally. I mean, that is an advanced skill that's really going to give you the ability to generate more uh income within your business as an installer and allow you to bid some of those big jobs that maybe right now you're worried you don't have the the skill to do right that you have don't have haven't been taught how to do it know how to do it properly to do it properly that's the key that's the key and you know what i met with a uh, i won't say who met with a major manufacturer this week and that was one of the things we were talking about is they're having issues with people calling them because they're bidding these jobs. Sorry. Flash, did you get me on the microphone there? Oh, uh, it turned away, but it's always three times. I don't know. It's always, that's three There's seasons. a mute button on there. You can just mute it. I got to work on that. <laughs> Sorry. So, but, uh, but you know, they're getting calls where their people are selling the floors, a specialty flooring. Oh, they get the job and realize they don't have anybody who can do it. I'm not just talking about, you know, a a bathroom. I'm talking a specialty installation. And someone can almost name their price and go up there and do it for these people because they don't have anybody to do it. So that's what we're trying to offer. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. When you get a certification, a CFI, trained certification, NWFA, whatever, it doesn't mean automatically you get $2 more. You get $3 more. It means you can put yourself in a position to where you can make more. And you yes. have to market yourself to be able to show that you can do that. Well, and to, to really be able to put yourself in the running for those large installations, because when you, the, obviously, the more the square footage you're putting in, you may, the, it may, it impacts the per square foot price, but it impacts the amount of jobs that you need to get in a given month, in a given week sure. to be able to make ends meet. And that's something we had, uh, we're going to tie it in here with that is that we had put out a, a Facebook post for questions. If anybody's got some questions or if they want some things discussed, uh, go to uh, floor you podcast on Facebook, email me at Paul at floor you Um, you can reach us on Twitter. You can reach us floor you podcast, uh, on Facebook, Instagram and, and yep. Facebook. We put that out this week and somebody talked about bidding jobs and getting jobs. And I guess for the purpose of this discussion, we were going to kind of approach that from a marketing sense. And one of the things that most uh, companies look at is how you can offer more services to the customers you already have. Right. So it's expensive to go get new customers. It's expensive for an installer. It takes time for an installer to reach out to different retailers to go find different builders or different sources of, of work. 
And the more that you can offer the ones that you already have, the more work you can get and the more valuable you are to them, right? You're that, you become that one stop. So I think that the, the heat welt and flash cove, I think that that's one step in that process that you're the guy. And guess what? If they they get a guy that really knows how to do these things, they're going to be less likely to move on and try somebody that's coming in at a a lower price because they don't know if they're going to offer all these services to them. They don't know if they're going to be able to do the, the, diverse types of jobs that these, especially the commercial contractors run into. Right. Well, you know, in, in larger cities, there's some people who maybe not a hundred percent, but 75% of their job is all they do is go around a heat weld for all the different shops in the city, in larger cities. So that right there tells you there's a need for it. So still hard on the knees, but not nearly as hard on the back. No, no, it's uh, it's great. I, I I can't wait to do this. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna really gonna take off. Uh, the last time, you know, when we tried to do it at the flooring essentials class, it ran over. It ran over. It was. It should have been twice as long as we did it. <laughs> oh yeah. All these people were down on the floor. It, it was. It was just. I don't know. It ended up was way better than I thought it was going to be. So I'm excited about it. Ran well into the evening, so we'll be sure. That's why we went from. We were talking two days and trying to do it in two days. And the idea is that with most of the classes we offer, it is a, it's a, it's an academic test at the end. You take a written test, you give the right answers, you pass. And this is going to be different. So this is going to be our, our baby. This is how we're going to look at doing things in the future, uh, moving forward. And that's going to be that performance testing when it's done. You're going to have to get in there and you show our reviewers that you can physically do it correctly in order to be certified. To get the certification, people will fail. And that's that's way more valuable to the people that look for certification, right? That's it. It's going to, it's going to have some teeth to it. It's going to be, it's going to be something that we know that when you leave our class and we're done with you, you know how to do it. So if we need to spend a little bit extra time with you, we're happy to do it. That's why we, you know, we kind of do these smaller classes, 20 to 25 people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can't bring in, you know, you can get the academic part of it out to as many people as you want to, but you're only going to, we're only going to have so many uh, workstations, platforms set up for people to take the the hands-on performance testing part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's going to take up the time and, and make sure that people, uh, that the, the attendees feel comfortable when they leave, they not only have the knowledge to do it, but they've done it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, this is this part of it, we talk about NAFCT a lot. This part of it's really uh, Sonny's baby. He's putting it together and, and uh, you know, coming out of the installation community and having that experience there, we really have got a, an amazing class put together. But from an inspection side of it, Man, when you really understand, and yeah, I'm gonna get you can go to that first class. I'll get down on the on the platform and and do some work, and <laughs> you guys can you can say, yeah, it ain't that easy, is it, dummy? There you no, go. No, <laughs> but you know what? When you go look at something, you'll understand why something failed or why something looks right, looks wrong. You know, they did this yeah. and they should have done that, and I think that brings value to the inspector as well. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. The and the amount of and these are claims that you would go look at that are very involved and very high dollar, just like the installation is very high dollar. I mean, if somebody, if, if they, if it's done wrong, that's an expensive claim. So yeah, you don't want to make a mistake in an operating room. No, <laughs> every Even minute on the floor. that thing is down, you're getting back charged. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. You want to make sure you do it right. Yeah. We kind of had a story about that. I've actually got it here because we weren't going to talk about it, but, uh, May as well bring it up when we talk about that and the the liability that comes with something like that. This was a hospital. Uh, I don't see. Let me see. Kingsway Park Place. Oh, St. Louis. BJC Healthcare seeks a hundred and fifty million dollar lawsuit over buckling floors in the new hospital towers. Hundred and fifty million dollar lawsuit. The gist of the lawsuit is wow that the wow. the flooring has put the building behind by two years. That's the dollar number that they're going with. But 
really it's a flatness issue. It's a subfloor prep issue. And uh, the I, I teach a class. I got a class they can go to if they want to learn <laughs> about that. My guy says it's pretty good. <laughs> I know somebody if they need an expert witness, I'd be happy to come in. <laughs> uh, yeah. We we could talk about that. We should talk about expert witness sometime on the show. Not today, but yeah. That's, uh, well, that's I tell we- you, I, I, you know, in in it, it goes with the story that you just mentioned. Something that we saw when the recession hit in seven and oh eight, and even nine. Some people who did retail work tried to venture out into commercial work. Mm-hmm. And they got in over their heads. I, I'm just curious if this may be one of those because you know it takes a few years for it to come to fruition. But uh, you know, we saw a lot of mom and pop and, and Main Street, what we call a Main Street retail retailers, get in trouble because they got in over their heads. Oh, definitely. Once the the economy slows down, you try getting your hands on any job you can get, and you know that brings in the the bidding process. And we talk about bidding the installation. And I heard it from Bill Zoetfeld, who we're trying to get on here. He's another inspector, a good friend of ours. But uh, he was the first one to say it to me. I don't know where he got it from. But he always said, you know what? I never lost a dime on a job I didn't take. That's right. And while it can be pretty stressful when business is slow and, and not sure where the next job's coming from, that's also a really bad time to have be, be found liable for a, a massive claim right. <laughs> that could be that could be business ending oh sure absolutely so absolutely and from a marketing standpoint so if we dig deeper into the marketing part of it and bidding a job and getting jobs uh we're gonna have some installers on we'll talk more about that from their perspective i think marketing is a more all-encompassing angle to look at it you know where do you get the jobs and i think marketing also comes into price right and i think that that's one thing that we see a lot in the installation community is that most of the people i don't know most but a, a a large number of the installers are craftsmen Right. They, that's what they are. They're craftsmen. They, they know how to put in a floor. They know how to make it look nice when they're done. And they know how to the, the good ones, the craft, the real craftsmen know how to take a complicated project and and make it look beautiful when they're done. Right. It's a, it's an art. The the challenge is, is that it's not that many that are really entrepreneurs and business people. And so. What then happens is, what do you sell on? What are you, what are you marketing yourself on? What are you selling on? And the person that doesn't have a deep knowledge of business, the easiest thing in the world to sell on is price. And that's why there hasn't been a large um, price increase in installation in 50 years, right? We're square foot price wise, charging a lot less today than they were charging in the in the 60s and 70s, if you adjusted for inflation, a lot less, right? Right. Well, so, let's go back to our let's go back to our first guest, Ken Ballin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he markets everything from his sunglasses to his bald head to his truck <laughs> to him to his. You know, the last thing you learn about him is his installation skills. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's all about everything else, and then oh yeah, I install. So. And he's able to get a value for that because he shows that he's a professional and the installation is part of him being a professional. Absolutely. He's got it out there, but that's that's branding, right? He's he's very good at branding. Mm-hmm. People recognize his brand. The 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 like you said, the bald head, the white sunglasses. He's got a little I may still have mine. I do that you recognize. Right now. There we go. You got mine on. See? Yeah, I got mine, but bad glasses. Oof. You Give should that have to the stock kids. and white sunglasses because people just buy them just to mess with them. Well, he should put his logo on the side and sell them on his website. <laughs> he should. He should. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was telling Sonny before we got started, one of the things you have to do is, is really educate yourself. 
and there's all sorts of books out there. Um, I haven't read this one in a while. I remember it was excellent. This one here is the uh, Marketing Warfare. Right. Right. And goes into marketing from a defensive point. How do you keep the jobs you've got? How do you keep the sales you got from an offensive standpoint? How do you go out and get more work? Uh, it goes into flanking warfare and guerrilla warfare, right? So it's concepts. And that's what you find in, in most of the marketing books. It's, it's concepts on ways to take your knowledge of your business and your industry and apply them Con, pl apply those concepts to your business. Uh, another one uh, that I really liked was uh, Selling the Invisible. And this one, again, it's been a while since I read it, but it went into talking about how, at least I think this was the one, how, um, remember Sizzler? Wasn't Sizzler that they they sold the sizzle? Remember the the advertisements with all the the steaks that came out and all they were doing was just playing the sizzle of the steak on the hot plate. Yeah, I think so. That or chilies. Yeah, this was a long time. This was pre-chilies. I think it was Sizzler, but it, it's talking about marketing things that aren't marketing concepts that aren't necessarily related to. Hey, look, I do a great job. Marketing things like how you clean up after the job or how professional you, you show up to the job or, um, you know, like, like Ken Ballon marketing, how he, his truck and what it looks like and how he maintains the inside of it and the professionalism that he has. There's marketing concepts that are very easy to understand, but go to that are, that are easy to apply to whatever you're doing. You know, it's funny you say that. I don't mean to cut you off. But I, I was talking with someone, I'll leave the names out, but I was talking with them and they had interviewed somebody this week. And they just felt like, you know, the interview didn't go bad, but it didn't go great. There was something odd. He goes, he goes, you know what I really like to do? And this was for an inside position. He goes, I'd really like to go see him on the job site. Let me go look inside his truck. That'll tell me what kind of person he is. I said, you're absolutely right. It's going to tell you exactly what kind of person he is. So. I need to keep my car cleaner if people are going to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this goes back, and I think I've mentioned it before on here. You know, I, I I was trained by an old school guy. There's no doubt about it. Doug Friel was old school. I mean, if it was three years before I made a seam, it may have been four years before I made a seam. I mean, he just took his time sure. and, and did it right. But the biggest thing with him was, you know, I couldn't wear ripped pants. I wore a golf shirt tucked it in either shorts or jeans but what that did is no matter where we worked we would move up the ranks to be the top crew just because of our appearance i mean we did we did good the work it the was, appearance of prof professionalism exactly we weren't any better than anybody else we did good work we um you know we were nice so we ended up doing a lot of homeowner work just because you know just because of our appearance and we knew how to settle things down. He was a store manager for a long time and we knew what to, you know, what to, how to manage the homeowner's expectations because that's a completely different show than what we're talking about here. But it was just the little thing. He kept his truck clean. He didn't let me wear ripped pants. We all, we always wore golf shirts tucked in and guess what? We got a premium for what we did because we would go and say, yeah, we're not touching that for, you know, you got to add $2 a yard to it and they would do it. Just because they would want us to do it. Well, I think that's one concept that I learned early on in business. I, in our first episode of the of the podcast, I talked a little bit about working at an appliance shop, and you know, you look at the appliance business and the changes that have happened over the last 25, 30 years, and you look at flooring and installation, and there's definite similarities. And we were already in a point where appliances were at Sears and yeah, Sears is now gone. Sears and, and Best Buy and Home Depot and all these places that were just selling on price, right? That's all that they sold on. And I went into this appliance shop, four employees that had been there. I think they opened in the 1930s or 1940s and had always done business a certain way. But they had a clientele that would pay extra for the appliances based on the service. And it doesn't matter what business you're in. There's people that only shop for price. 
There's people that look for a good combination of price and extras or price and quality. And then there's people that simply look for the most expensive person because they equate price with ability and quantity quality. Yeah. Quality. Right. And that comes into installation as well in, in a large way. If you're going, most installers market and sell on price, right? You go into carpet cleaning, same thing. You've got your per room guys. You've got your people out there that are just, hey, we're the least expensive. No one's going to beat our price. You've got some people that just charge a little bit more than that. And you've got some people, when I, when I did carpet cleaning, uh, I was absolutely the most expensive person in our area. And the minute I found somebody else was charging more than I was, I raised my price. And every single time because my clientele expected that you can't say that you're the best at what you do and charge the least amount of money because people won't believe right. you. They're not going to believe it. It's right. possible, but they're not going to believe it. But the difference is when you build a business on price, you have at the low end, you have no loyalty. The only thing you have when you build your business on price is the loyalty to your price. And the minute somebody else comes along and charges less than you do, See you later. They're less expensive. Right. It takes longer. It's more work to build a business based on quality at a reasonable price. Right. I mean, you can't charge 10 times what somebody else does. You won't get enough clientele. It takes longer to build that business on, on that quality at a higher price. But those customers are customers for life. Because right. they didn't choose you. The only way you lose those customers is if somebody convinces them they can do a better job or if you don't deliver. That's, That's it. Right. Yeah. So you don't deliver. That's usually the main one. They're not going to yeah. go out and go shopping. And that's where the value is as a business owner. For sure. Well, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and customer service after that, right? You've, you've, if you're an installer, you know there's products you don't use because you feel that that manufacturer didn't stand behind their product. You feel that you've replaced a floor because that manufacturer used you as a scapegoat. And that happens sometimes. But you also know which manufacturers didn't do that. I'll I, I tell you right now, I have, one, I have one specific customer that the only reason I have this business is because I, we do things together that have nothing to do with adhesive. I help them with all their yeah. technical. I help them with their complaints. has nothing to do with adhesive. It has to do with helping each other. They help me, so I'm going to help them. Has nothing to do with what I'm selling. Oh, relationships are absolutely a a huge part of building that that quality based business. You find people that have the same business concepts as you do, and you find you have a lot in common with them. You'll end up working together with them, and you'll end up golfing with them. You'll end up, <laughs> you know, hunting with them, shooting with them, whatever you do in your free time, protesting with them. I don't know. <laughs> But, but yeah, it becomes, it becomes, I don't, I never really liked the word, the words networking because that kind of has a connotation of just finding people that you can, that can help you. Right. I, we've always tried it with NAFCT. We've always tried to partner with people. What can we do for you? And then they're asking, what can we do for, for NAFCT? Right. And it's that that relationship where it's actually looking out for the benefit of the other, the the other partner, right? right. The other party, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that kind of you summed it up right there when you talk about NAFCT is one, you know, we we reach out to try to work with other groups and organizations where most other organizations kind of want to keep their their information to themselves. So we're, we're yeah. trying to expand. If you've got something that you do better than me, I've got something I can do better than you. Let's share it. Let, let, let's make the industry better. So. Hey, and the concept that a rising tide lifts, tide lifts all bullets, right? That that's it. If we make the industry better, we're all going to be better off for it. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what the podcast is. Hopefully people in their, in their free time or when they're at the jobs, they've got some time to listen to it. And if you can pick up a few things, great. And if you get a few laughs, fantastic. If you think we're idiots and just listen to be mad at us, well, I'm okay with that too. No, that's Paul. You can hate Paul. Don't hate me. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? I have broad shoulders. Yeah, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, I got a bad back from carrying the show anyway. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. That's where that's how you hurt yourself. You, you say that, but I'm about to fall asleep right here, so it's one of those days. I've had a I've had a long week, and it's only Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's why we do these on Tuesdays normally, so we're a little bit fresher. Well, I think it's easier when we have a guest too, because it's <laughs> it's uh, someone else to pick up the conversation. But we also did have another. So to 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 segue from our boredom, not really. That was that's an interesting conversation. But we'll have somebody on. We've talked. There's questions about bidding and how you bid a job. I think the logistics of bidding a job, what's included, what's not, right? So I, we need to get into that somewhat and talk about, um, you know, someone comes and tells you there's no floor prep is ready, the, the subfloor is ready to, for installation. You, how often is that true, right? Yeah. You you need no, to, no floor prep needed. It's a it's an all encompassing bid has got to be the most. Uh, and a thorough bid. I think people will see a thorough bid and, and have explanations for why you're bidding this. That's a hell of a lot better for most people than you coming in and saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm here now, but I can't put this floor in because I got to do $1,000 worth of floor prep before I do that. Right. Right. You, when I ran the, when I was in the carpet cleaning business, I went out and I quoted every job, every single house, every single business. I went out, I looked at it, I talked to the consumer and gave them an exact quote to to clean their carpet. I never, unless it was a repeat customer that kind of understood the process, I never gave a price over the phone, ever. And it's that got to be that way with installation. It's got to be the point that, listen, unless I know what I'm going over, the condition of it, I can't give you a, a, a I can give you a, a ballpark. People don't like ballparks. If you say it's five hundred to a thousand dollars, what do they hear? Well, it's five hundred bucks. Cool. Five hundred bucks. See, see when you get here, I'll have five hundred bucks ready for you. And what did the installer hear? A thousand. A thousand. <laughs> <laughs> There's exactly. your disconnect right there. And then if you come out and it's fifteen hundred, oh, they're going to be angry. It's going to go crazy. Going to be bad. Even no, if it's I, justifiable. And I get it. And that and that's why I would never want to do retail. Just because, what are you going to do? Go on everybody's floor and take it up and see what's underneath there. And, you know, there's so many challenges to doing that. God bless the people who do it because I, I don't want to. <laughs> well, sure. But even going out and looking at it and saying, listen, I'm feeling some unevenness just when I walk on it over here. I'm not going to know exactly how much prep I've got to do on it prior to installation, but there's going to be floor prep. And give them a price, at least if you're giving them a range on the prep, then on the rest of the installation, you're closer, right? So if you're going out and you give them a written uh, bid for the installation, and it says, all right, the installation is exactly this, and it explains that that covers the adhesive and that covers the, the material, right? Here's how much for the trim. Floor prep is this. I know I've got floor prep, but I don't know how much explaining that to a consumer prior to installing the flooring will give you a loyal customer. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, we said it before and we can do an entire show on managing people's expectations because the people who can do that have the best customers because they, oh, okay. they're able to walk them through it, tell them what to expect. Cause what, what, what any consumer doesn't want is surprises or surprises. Right. Anything you anything you tell somebody before the job is an explanation. When you tell them after, it's an excuse. That's yeah. how people see it. Yep. So yeah. we've got we've got another subject here that we're going to go on to. We got about yeah. twenty minutes. Should we try to cover that in twenty minutes? Yeah, go ahead. Let's All go. right. So we were we were talking before the uh, we were talking yesterday actually uh, about litigation and frivolous lawsuits or lawsuits that could even appear that way, but the legal world is different than the real world in a sense, right? You see, a, you see something happen and you see it in black and white. You see, absolutely. This is right. This is wrong. But from a legal standpoint, there's all these concepts of responsibility and concepts of, of, of warning people. And, and as we got talking about it, Sonny remembered an adhesive manufacturer that uh, had gone through a case, and here, here's basically what the case was. I'm going to read 
uh, a good chunk of the beginning, and we're going to kind of jump through it because it's oh, about 24 pages. Yeah. Should I read the whole thing, Sonny? <laughs> Do you want to take a nap? <laughs> no. No, but it, it, what we're doing, we're not we're trying we're not trying to single out any manufacturer or product, but we're trying to show you how these things can happen and how what you need to do to protect yourself. That's the meaning behind this. So, uh, we're going to try to leave everybody's name out, but if something comes out, we're not trying to single them out. We're trying to educate other people so it doesn't happen to them. No, absolutely, because there's plenty of blame, and this is a this is a real tragic case, really. It's not this, we like to joke around about some things, but this affected people's lives. It affected the company's life. They're out of business now. It affected the installers' lives because they had to go through a a very uh, serious recovery period from it. Um, the, it affected the homeowner. It's really is a, a tale about how a, a cautionary tale about how how things go bad and how it can be the responsible party. You may not with, agree with who the responsible party is, and everybody deserves some responsibility. But in the legal system, it's not always as clear-cut as what we would con- yep. expect it's it to not be. not always what you think, for sure. So this was an appeal case, and I'm not even going to say where it was out of. I'm sure if you're good with Google, you can figure it out. Um, am I going to use the name of the, uh, of the uh, plaintiff's? Or should I skip the yeah. name of the plaintiff? You can, you can do that. Mm-hmm. It, it is on the internet. It's public record. It's public so it's record, like. yeah. Um, so here it started out. It was early September 1998. Uh, the plaintiffs, and I'll use their names just not every time, were hired as carpet installers, went to the retailer to pick up materials, and they were installing a carpet in the basement of a home. When they arrived at the retailer's, they found the roll of carpet and two cans of adhesive on the deck. Both cans contained, am I using the, the name of the adhesive? Yeah. Both cans contained M280, a highly flammable adhesive manufactured, blah, blah, blah. Neither installer had ever used it before. Uh, they loaded the materials into their van and drove to the home. Once they arrived, they examined the basement, which consisted of a kitchenette, separate storage area, They moved the refrigerator from the kitchen into the doorway. In preparation for the installation, they noticed a water heater inside the storage area, but its presence didn't cause them concern. The old carpet had been removed. The installer was uh, Mr. Roach and Mr. Faulkner. Began spreading the M280 on the basement floor. Mr. Faulkner was outside cutting pieces of the new carpet to install. Mr. Faulkner brought a piece of carpet to the basement and set it on the floor. They they both described that they heard a click followed by a whoosh or a boom as the vapors of the M280 ignited and the force of the blast hurled Mr. Roach across the room. The floor where Mr. Roach applied the M280 had erupted into flames and the basement quickly filled with smoke. As they got up and began making their way towards the steps to exit the basement, a second blast again knocked them both off their feet. The flames from a second blast traveled up the basement stairwell, blew out a kitchen window, and set a neighbor's tree ablaze. The second blast also knocked Miss Biondo, who was in the dining room on the first floor, through two rooms and out the front door of her home onto the sidewalk. In a struggle to escape the basement after the second blast, Mr. Roach tripped over a roll of carpet on the floor and fell down into the burning glue. Mr. Faulkner, seeing that Mr. Roach was lying face down in the glue and was no longer moving, pulled his shirt over his face and ran to where he thought Mr. Roach was. Mr. Faulkner finally found Mr. Roach and dragged him up the stairs and out of the basement. Both men then ran outside where the neighbor helped extinguish their burning bodies with water from a garden hose. Holy crap, right? That's as real as it gets. That's tragic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And talk about heroic actions i mean the installer that was up could have been in a panic and just ran out of that building but he went and got his got his partner and got his partner dragged him out i mean no matter what the whole case works out to that that's a heroic act and that is a life-altering event there's no question 
Uh, and that goes into that. They suffered severe burns, underwent months of hospitalization, reconstructive surgery, and re rehabilitative therapy. And they both filed action against the adhesive manufacturer. There were several claims against, uh, it was several parties that were, were involved, but most of this is involving the, the litigation the against the manufacturer of the adhesive. Um, at the close of all the evidence, the trial court could, uh, directed a verdict in favor of the manufacturer with respect to the claim of punitive damages, but allowed the appellee's claims for compensatory damages to go to the jury. So the court said, not a problem, the jury, but, but they could ask the jury. The jury thereafter agreed on a $5 million verdict in favor of Mr. Roach and a $3 million verdict in favor of Mr. Faulkner. And then the manufacturer moved for a judgment notwithstanding on the verdict or a new trial. The court denied the new trial, and this is the appeal. So that was the summary of the first court case. So what it goes into from there is, as an overview, had a lot to do with labeling, right? So they're talking about... Uh, the first error, so when you when it's appealed, you have to get assigned errors in the case. There's had to have been errors in order to appeal it. So for the, the liability for someone yep. to be liable. So the so the the attorneys for the manufacturer in appealing said these were the following errors, and they said that they failed to introduce insuff introduce sufficient evidence from which reasonable minds could conclude that. The manufacturer owed a duty to warn that they breached that duty to warn and the breach of duty approximately uh, caused injury. So wasn't our job to tell them, we told them it wasn't our fault. I mean, that's the basis of it. And it's, right. it's, it's all legalese. So I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to pretend to be one here, but I've read enough of these to have some idea of what's going on. Uh, the duty to warn, uh, the manufacturer first argued it had no duty to warn of the potential that the M280 might explode. So now we're talking about, and it's going into the differences in the case between the difference between a flash fire and an explosion. Ex and they did flammable, find that... extremely flammable and explosive were three different categories for that. Okay, so that's You've, you've seen those before that that's gotcha. So they brought in a expert witness, uh, fire investigation. They found that it did explode, that it wasn't just a flash, flash fire, but there was an explosive aspect to it. And they get into labeling. Now I'm going to come back to this part because what the labeling really revolved around was when the adhesive initially came out, the label said for outdoor use only. And in 1984, they replaced that with open all windows and doors, use only with cross ventilation, use only with good ventilation. Oh, the cross ventilation was replaced with use only with good ventilation. Then in 1996, they again altered the label. They removed the warning instructions regarding preventing vapor buildup with using with cross ventilation, extinguishing pile lights and other sources with the warning vapors may, uh, oh yeah, the, the warning vapors may ignite explosively was also removed from the 1996 label and the instruction do not use indoors because of flammability was added to the side panel. Pretty clear cut at this point, right? They're saying, yep. hey, don't use it inside. Yep. It seems like on first look. Or near a pilot light. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, but they, they added in the instructions, do not use indoors. That seems pretty clear. Um, they had some supporting evidence. There was uh, naphtha in the, in the adhesive. And that MDS said, keep away from heat, sparks, flame, extinguish pilot light cigarettes, turn off other source of ignition and to use and all vapors. Uh, oh, sorry extinguish pilot light cigarettes and turn off other sources of ignition prior to use and until all vapors have dissipated 
use explosion-proof ventilation to prevent vapor accumulation while in use. So they're they're saying that in the background there was pleasant, plenty of evidence that there was an explosive nature with this as well as a flash fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had removed some of these, but they also put it on the side panel, and that's an important part of it, that they put it on the side panel for outdoor use only. They had an expert come in. The expert talked about... Um, I don't want to take too much time. I could I could read the whole thing. It's it's interesting. So let's just move. We'll skip past that and go to what the installer was saying. I think that's critical. All right. So yeah, they quickly they had an expert come in uh, that said that it was an outdoor adhesive. Outdoor adhesives don't necessarily mean flammable. Uh, the installer. Da-da-da. Sure, make me skip ahead now. I had it. I had an order. <laughs> so they did have an expert in that said that it was. Um, well, there's a part I'm looking for because we talked about the side panel. Um, I thought it was after that. They talked about putting that on the side panel, so they had a warning on it about flammable, and then. I want to make sure I get to this part. Right, adhesive for the installation. Uh, okay. Mr. Mister Roach testified that he read the front panel of the M280 can, including the statements, all-weather outdoor adhesive, which the expert described to say that that was out, outdoor adhesive doesn't necessarily mean flammable, but it means that it can be used in it's it's designed to withstand weather conditions, rain, snow, freezing, heat. Um, he he uh, testified he read the front panel of the can, including the statements: "All weather outdoor adhesive, extremely flammable, danger, vapor harmful, and can cause flash flash fires and flammable mixture." He Mr. read Roach, that. He read this, that. This is the installer, right? Yes. Mr. Roach stated that he thought the M280 all-weather outdoor adhesive was appropriate because he and Mr. Faulkner were installing indoor-outdoor carpet in the basement. Mr. Roach testified he understood the warnings on the label to mean the M280 would ignite if exposed to open flame. He stated, however, he did not derive from the warnings any appreciation for the risk that vapors from the M280 might travel to distant ignition sources and ignite or explode. And here's a point to make, and this is just a general point. When you have something that's that's flammable, it means it's evaporative. You get gases of it in the air. Those gases, when you're in a basement, and this is just FYI for those that don't know, they're heavier than air. So they start to fill up from the bottom up. If you almost picture the basement like a bucket, as they evaporate off, they just build up along the floor, and they get deeper and deeper and deeper. So it takes that whole basement. So when that when they heard that click, that was the and then pilot a, whoosh, light. a boom, that click was the pilot light for the water heater that was mentioned. That's all it took. And once that once the once those flames ignited, everything in that room went up in flames, and the I'm guessing the bucket exploded. Although we don't, I don't think it's clear in here what the actual explosion was. Right. I'm guessing it's the adhesive that was in the bucket. Probably. Probably to an extent there was heavy gases right at the top of the bucket because, again, in that's... the open bucket. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but we're guessing there. That I don't, I don't know. Mr. Roach then, it goes on, Mr. Roach further testified that he did not read the instruction at the bottom of the label that said, read side panels carefully. Mr. Roach stated that had he read the directive, read side panels carefully, he probably would not have read the side panels. Mr. Roach explained, my experience tells me that if it's extremely dangerous, it's going to be in bold print where I can see that. Mr. Roach averred that he would absolutely not have used the M280 in the basement if he had seen the warning on the label not to use it indoors. In summary, Mr. Roach testified that he read the front label 
of the container was not warned thereby of any risks associated with vapors from a traveling to distant ignition sources and igniting or exploding. Uh, we must conclude, therefore, that his failure to read what has been described as the inconspicuous do not use indoors because of flammability warning on the side label did not rebut the presumption that the inadequacy of the label's warning proximately caused the exposure. So the whole bucket says it's flammable. And on the bottom it says read the side panel. It says uh, careful, read the side panel carefully. On the side panel it says do not use indoors. Right? And they were awarded in this case. So do we have a certain degree of culpability here? Is it a cautionary tale? And we've got more to go over. But is it a cautionary tale? Yeah, it is. What's to be learned here is definitely that instructions are there for a reason. That while it may not always be a, a life-altering explosion, those instructions are there to prevent problems. Right. It, it doesn't have to be an explosion it could be a job failure that can cause you to close your business, can cause you to lose your license, can cause you to lose everything you've put into your floor covering life simply because you didn't read the pail. And I think that's the main thing we wanted to get from this today was that if it's something you haven't used and you haven't and you don't use regularly, read the label. There's going to be something on there. I promise you, you're going to realize something you're going to do different if you follow the instructions on the way, as opposed to how you would do it without reading the label. If it well, be the, the, the floor flatness, it could be the trowel size used, it could be the open time that's recommended. Those labels are not just there for marketing. They're there for technical support. They have text. And we want to put more on there, but we always run out of room, right? We well, don't that, make the font so small. That's what I was going to say. That explains the small print. And that's part of the case is the fact that, yeah, there's warnings on there. Flammable will, you know, will will burst into flames, flash fire, ex extinguish everything. Boy, eventually, if you want to have the the real warnings in in bold, large print, your your actual logo and label is going to be in the little corner in the upper <laughs> upper right. side of the label. Um, and it, it does go into too the fact that um, Mr. Roach, I believe was applying the adhesive and Mr. Faulkner that was there. He never even looked at it because he wasn't doing the adhesive. He was either a helper and helper's role at that point. So he was out doing some cuts and so forth and, and starting to do a different portion of the installation. He said he didn't read it at all. He yeah. he took care of the map before they left, so he didn't even take it off the dock at the at the store. Didn't have any idea of what was there, and that is another example. And I think you know, as much as we're we're getting towards the hour here, if we go right to the end of it, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read the final decision. Because uh, I thought this was interesting, especially with our, with our views on training and education, right? Okay. In our disposition of the first assignment error, we discussed in detail the evidence tending to show the manufacturer was aware that M280 might be used indoors. In addition, the expert, uh, the, the, Plaintiff's expert testified most carpet installers receive little to no pre-installation training and learn their trade on the job. Uh, Mr. Grady further testified that the adhesive manufacturing industry as a whole was aware of this lack of training and experiences. For these reasons, Mr. Grady opined the responsibility of warning the user not to take an inappropriate product indoors rests with the manufacturer. And that was the basic finding of the appeal so they they reinforced again the the ruling the 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 
cash settlement to the plaintiffs. But they talked about the the fact that installers aren't trained. Manufacturers know they're not trained. So in this case, it's the manufacturer's fault for being having insufficient warning. That speaks a lot to what goes on in our industry and how a lack of training is well-known, it is understood, and accepted. And, I, and that, that, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. And that's where I talked to Ken just a little bit about falling on the installers, kind of a police-your-own sort of thing. We need installers that set the example, get the training, and start talking in a knowledgeable fashion about what they're doing, about what their profession is, about how they do it, and how they are a skilled trade, not just laborers. Not just labor. Yep. Well put there, Paul. I agree. So at the end of the day, they denied the uh, they denied the appeal. And as much as we like to joke around on the show, what a tragic case. What an absolutely tragic situation. You know, that that happened. That manufacturer, as we said, that's out of business. There's some there's some branding out there that but that's all changed. That's why we didn't want to go into it too far. Because it's not really about the manufacturer. It's not the it's not it's not us finding fault with one party or another. It's more discussion about how tragic it is. I mean, these guys, they spent months and months rehabbing from severe burns. Any amount of money at the end of the day, you wouldn't take it today. No, no, not one dang listener of the show would take it today if you said, hey, I'll give you five million if I can burn you up. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and that and and ultimately it was absolutely preventable. Mm-hmm. And 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 part of their defense was based on no training or lack of training. Uh, for the installer and that's 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 just not okay and that's where we come in and that's where we want to try to make a difference and and prevent something like this from happening and manufacturers are out there too we read that manufacturers offer you know hands-on classes that you can go to manufacturers we work with manufacturers they volunteer their time to come and help us train people when they know darn well they're not allowed to use the name of their companies during the training you know manufacturers are out there do care about getting it a lot of manufacturers do care about getting installers trained but i think that's where we need some urgency in the installation community to say yeah we need this knowledge we need this and people that are listening to this probably already know that Mm -hmm. you know it's not if you're listening to this it's not for the jokes i mean (laughs) there's 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 funnier podcasts out there that's for sure (laughs) you know um Better but, looking host too. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, this was we didn't know this was going to be a video until we got started on it and found out we could do it this way. But yeah, so take your training seriously and and really encourage your your helpers and people getting in the industry to train themselves and to understand that knowing the material that you're using not only could save your life, but it sure as hell could save you money. Day in and day out. With, with the invention of Google, you can look up anything that you're getting ready to install. If you've got a new flooring, a new adhesive, a new patch, a new mitigation, whatever it is, mm-hmm. Google is your friend. You can get all the information you need, and if you can't, you call the manufacturers. That's part of being the consummate professional, and uh, that's how that's what we're urging you to do today. Um, not trying to bring the show down by any means bum everybody out but it's serious and uh we just want to make sure everybody um (laughs) when i said it's serious my my phone thought i said hey siri (laughs) (laughs) well on that note what you got what you got coming up sonny what's your where are you going to be at you just all working or are you going uh you got some events coming up no i think i'm uh i think i'm home for a couple of weeks um going to head down to uh astm the second week in in um, november probably go down to columbus georgia the week before that go see my friends at eagle floor covering supplies good people there and um 
you know, I'm going to try to work from the house. Oh, always decent to be home with the family for a while. They yeah. usually try to kick me out after a couple of weeks, but. Well, speaking of the family, you know how I throw these shout outs to who, see if people are listening or watching. Yeah. I did find out my wife has been watching. You know how I found out? <laughs> How'd you find it? You said something. She told me my office was a wreck and I need to clean that <laughs> shelf off. <laughs> so before the next one, I will have a clean shelf. I promise. Uh, my my kids will watch it now and then because they watch nothing but YouTube. So now they they think I'm a star. So that's that's uh, a star. <laughs> Dad's on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, so you can reach Sonny, one eight seven seven G L U D U D E one eight seven seven glue dude with divergent adhesives. You can get my cell. The cell number. Do I have your cell? Is that the four zero seven three eight three six four four six? Call me anytime. Four zero seven three eight three six four four six. You can reach me for uh, inspections, expert witness work, floor claim solutions. Paul Pleshek, 920-858-9569. You can reach me about podcast if you'd like to be on the podcast or advertise. That you can always looking for guests. Always looking for people. Guests. Yep. Uh, you can email me at Paul at floryoupodcast.com. You can also uh, comment uh Floor you Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, check us out on the tube. Yep. Uh, podcasts, of course, are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. So we've got audio and and the video on YouTube. We'll be back next week, hopefully Tuesday. And we may or may not have a guest. Do we? No. No, no guest next week so far. So far. So, so we'll far. announce something. But again, you can get that on the social media or the, the web page here. Oh, the web page is up. Yeah, web page is up. That page is off. Floryoupodcast.com. Sonny can quit giving me a hard time. So <laughs> thank you very much for tuning in, and we will uh, talk again next week. See you later, Sonny. You got to have to sing your way out. Bing, 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 bing. Goodbye. <laughs>